2: and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to racketon.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R A K U T E N. Shoppers get it.
0: Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. It's been one wild ride for the airlines this year. Even wilder, perhaps, for the cruise lines, not to mention the entire world of travel. Sarah Nelson, the president of the Association of Flight Attendants, talks with me about how many of her members are losing their jobs, what Congress did, what the airlines did, and what the Congress can do now to help. Then it's on to cruise ships and the Centers for Disease Control, extending the no-sail order for U.S. cruise lines. So when will the ship sail again, and with passengers? Gene Sloan from The Points Guy has the latest. And then my chat with Roger Dow, the President and CEO of the US Travel Association with an update on travel right here in America. First up, Sarah Nelson. In the world of travel and tourism, this has been one crazy week. Whether you're in the airline business, the cruise business or the hotel business, it's a roller coaster this week. And nobody really knows where it's gonna end. We just know it's gonna be a crazy ride. And we're on it right now. And joining me now is someone who's been on that roller coaster for quite some time uh, and has been on the show before as well. We always love to have her back. The president of the Association of Flight Attendants, Sarah Nelson. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. You know, we've been hearing warnings for months now. We knew that October 1st was coming. We knew that the CARE Act provisions expired on October 1st. We knew that meant that the airlines could and would furlough thousands of employees. We also knew mm-hmm. they could and would drop a number of cities from their route networks. And mm-hmm. in, one area, in one case, the one airline already announced about 15 of those cities. And already, you know, two days ago, Uh, both American and United started the process of furloughing about 32,000 employees. That's crazy. And the the only thing that, that could save it would be legislation perhaps standalone legislation uh, coming out of Congress that would basically extend or renew the original cares act bill to to give the airlines an additional amount of liquidity perhaps 25 billion dollars to get them to be f- able to fly with everybody on board and to those cities that they continue to serve through next march crazy time
2: yeah it's it and and it's really about protecting those jobs and the infrastructure so this whole plan is not really necessarily to give the airlines liquidity In fact, they've been out uh, loading up debt and uh, uh, getting into a place where they can weather this storm. But to have the industry only return to about 30 percent of what it was a year ago and revenue at only 15 percent, that's just, I mean, that's unprecedented. That's unheard of. And it has been for an extended period of time. And right now, we're not climbing out of that. Um, right. So extending You're this right. for another six months to keep people in their jobs, this is a jobs and infrastructure plan. It keeps people in their jobs connected to their health care. It's less cost than putting people on the unemployment lines. And then, of course, as you said, the service to the small communities um, that are starting to see those cuts uh, can be restored and maintained during this pandemic.
0: This is one of the situations where there was an unprecedented partnership, if you will, I hate to use the word partnership when I'm talking between union and management, but you guys were working together to try to get this legislation, correct?
2: Yes, we were working together on this. And, and I'll tell you, you know, when this started in March, they came and said that they were going to need some government assistance. And certainly with 97% drop-off overnight and 96% drop-off still in business travel, there was no way the airlines were going to survive without uh, assistance. But what we said in March was, listen, you're, people do not want to give the airlines money. And so the only way this is going to work is if you work with us and build a plan that's workers first and make this about keeping people in their jobs, um, paying for the pay and benefits of the workers, and uh, making sure that you are also focusing on continuing that really important infrastructure for the country in the middle of this pandemic. So you've got to make some, some commitment to the public for this money. And they did that. They did that. And so we have worked in partnership. This has been the most successful jobs program of all of coronavirus relief. And it has been really successful in keeping our airlines flying. And I'll tell you, they did some things that they didn't necessarily want to do, including cutting their own uh, executive compensation uh, and uh, banning stock buybacks and dividends. But they they did that with us. And we, we formed that partnership in March um, in a time of crisis. And it has proven to work really, really well. And so uh, when labor came back and said, we're going to need this extension because now it's about our jobs, not necessarily about a cliff for the airlines per se, they can, they can manage the business now. It won't be good for Americans, won't be good for us. Uh, it's about our jobs. Um, and they said, well, you know, if you can get Democrats and Republicans on board, then uh, we'll support you. And we did. We went out and got bipartisan support, and the industry has been with us since then, and we've been working uh, together to make sure we can stop these furloughs. And unfortunately, uh, Congress didn't wake up to the fact that we had an actual deadline on that of October 1st, and so we had 100,000 people who are headed to the unemployment line as of this morning.
0: And bottom line is, it's more than just an unemployment line, because what about health benefits? What about insurance?
2: That's exactly right. So there are heartbreaking stories, people who are dealing with chronic illnesses um, and uh, very serious illnesses who need that health care. Uh, there's stories of a, a man and woman who got married last year. They're both airline employees. They're both on the furlough list, and she is due to give birth next week, and they're going to lose their jobs and their health care. Uh, there, there's one story after another like this, of people who really need the stability, and uh, they don't have anywhere else to go. A lot of people ask me, how do you compare this to what happened after 9-11? You know, we lost 20% of our jobs overnight. But people had other industries to go to. They went to the restaurants. They went to retail. They went to hospitality. um, They started new careers. Uh, Right now, there's there's nowhere else to go uh, other than the unemployment line or maybe even the bread line. And that's really where we are.
0: I mean, there really is no plan B right now, is there? Uh,
2: there's not a plan B when you're talking about a 60% cut in the jobs available in the airline industry and no other jobs available to go to. There's just, if, if the 40% of us who were left cut all of our pay, we wouldn't be able to cover everyone. So um, it's, there's there's no real way to have a plan b here other than to recognize that this is a moment and this is the reason that government exists (laughs) um to make sure that we can continue to work together uh to get through a crisis like this and uh that's what government should be doing is bringing us all together we have incredible wild bipartisan support from the most fiscal conservative to the most uh progressive progressive and uh And we just can't seem to get this through a vehicle in Congress to get it done. But there's no reason it shouldn't be done. And we're going to keep working at it um, because we don't have any other options.
0: Now, I know United Airlines did a last-minute deal with their pilots to avoid some furloughs of about 3,000 jobs. But that didn't protect everybody else at United.
2: Well, let's recognize that it's a completely separate situation with pilots, first of all. Um, There's a lower number of pilots uh, who would be subject to furlough. Those pilots on the bottom of the furlough list also are the ones who are certified for the aircraft that United wants to fly right now, or any airline for that matter. Um, It's typically that the more senior pilots would be flying the jumbo jets. Most of those are parked on, on the ground, and that's why there's such high numbers of furloughs for flight attendants because on those planes it takes, say, 13 and 14 flight attendants to staff those planes, um, as opposed to the um, uh, two to four pilots who would be flying those flights. So um, all of those pilots will continue to get paid, and they're not necessarily subject to the furlough either. So the, the pilots that United needs to have uh, active to fly the planes that are uh, they're currently flying are the ones who are at the bottom of the furlough list. So they were able to work that out, and they didn't have uh, as many numbers to cover as you have to for the rest of the work groups, whether it's, a, it's just a straight seniority um, uh, furlough adjustment.
0: You know the numbers that you're giving me are, are so staggering. At one point, I believe in May, United Airlines had more pilots than they were flying passengers.
2: <laughs> yeah, the the number the numbers really are staggering, and even we've had some stories about. TSA numbers ticking up. But just to give you an example, Peter, we were at 50% of the load factors over the Labor Day holiday that we were a year ago, but 25% of the revenue. So even as we've had some return, we, we don't have the business travelers. Business travel is down 96%. And this is just not sustainable, and and it's not going to return until other sectors return either. You know, the airlines were the first affected. We we fly to every corner of the earth, so of course we were the first affected with uh, many of the pull down yeah. of flights from Asia, and we're probably going to be the last ones out.
0: Hopefully, Congress will come to their senses. There'll be not only bipartisan support, but a standalone bill that will give you that additional liquidity at the airline level to keep everybody employed and the planes flying to the cities that were originally on the schedule. But that leads us all the way through March. Uh, You have the fourth quarter where, I know you know this, the bookings are dismal. The first quarter, the bookings are dismal. So now let's project out to March when the bookings are supposed to come back but in the wake in, in the absence of either a vaccine or widespread reliable rapid response testing what is it going to take to get people to confidently get back in an airplane and go somewhere
2: Well, we would love to work on this issue, and you're right that we will be six months closer to a vaccine, even if we don't have one readily available by that time. We'll be that much closer. Uh, We will be much closer to being able to have rapid testing and a testing uh, regimen in place where we can actually do contact tracing and people can feel much more comfortable about that. But what that's also going to do is to allow other sectors of the economy to open back up again and possibly have... uh, People uh, running conventions and all of the business travel and um, business um, uh, in in hospitality that has been stopped can start to uh, ramp up again. And we're going to need that. We're going to need restaurants open. We're going to need resorts open, casinos, uh, theme parks, and and people going to conventions and going to business meetings in order for the uh, airline business to pick back up. But the good news is that April starts to head into the traditionally uh, more heavy travel season, Uh, more likely that uh, the the revenue is higher in that time anyway. We're six months closer to that vaccine or testing regimen. We're going to have science advance during that time. And in the meantime, you have people who continue with their health care and their paychecks for six months with the ability to, to plan a little bit better. You also have, Peter, more people who are qualifying for Medicare and the ability to retire. So you have the ability to slim down the ranks as well. And uh, so it is um, it, we, we are pretty confident that getting a six-month bridge will get us to a place where it will be much more likely that we can avoid a furlough scenario in the spring.
0: Well, I hope you're right, because the numbers right now are not, are not pleasant. So the question I have to ask you, and maybe it's too soon to ask this question, but are there lessons you can learn from this even now that you can apply now?
2: Sure. I, I mean, since, since March, some of the things that we have put in place have helped to uh, give the public some confidence in flying and have helped to return uh, some of the traffic to air travel. So the mask policies, for example, that those, those were put in place in April. And then we had to go through a whole process of how are we going to enforce that and make sure that it's also in the airports and not just on the airplanes and everyone's participating in that. Um, And then we've got the HEPA filtration and helping to educate the public about the air filtration system on airplanes that are going to um, make this a much more safe space to be in than even an office building. Uh, and the cleaning on board the aircraft. You know, flight attendants have never been so happy about the planes and the way that they're (laughs) being cleaned these days. Yeah. (laughs) But all all of this is a very controlled environment, and we have the ability to do a lot more about educating the public about that and what we're doing. And the more that people feel that things are under control, the more likely that we're going to get, Back to a space where we can uh, have people start to return to regular business, and and that's really what we have to do. We've got we we also can learn, frankly, from the way that we have worked together, labor and management, to get this done. How much more can we accomplish by the relationships that we've formed and the and the trust that we've built? Around safety and around uh, bringing confidence to air travel. There's a lot that we can do with this. And uh, we certainly have learned a lot of lessons from that that we will apply going forward.
0: You know, you were talking about the airlines, you know, bulking up on on additional liquidity and debt. Uh, American, for example, is, you know, basically took on another $7.5 billion loan from the Treasury. But American and Delta together, or individually, I should say, actually went out there and mortgaged their frequent flyer program to generate revenue. I was really surprised that that it was worth that much.
2: Yeah, well, they've done everything they can uh, while they can to get that liquidity in place because the airlines are still burning cash at an incredible rate. Uh, They've been able to slow that rate by about 60%. They're still burning uh, around $30 million a day. And uh, at that rate, you've got to have the liquidity on hand to be able to weather this storm. Um, So which they'll which they'll be able to do now. Um, But they won't be able to carry the additional people unless we get this payroll support extension and that's uh, that's why it's so critical that the government step in here, because this is really not about the airlines. It's really about the jobs and the infrastructure for the country. And so it's really a question of how do we want to spend the public money? Do we want to let this infrastructure program just go? And do we want to send people to the unemployment lines and then try to deal with all the problems that that creates, people not being able to pay their rent and people running into foreclosures and all of a sudden now you've got a problem with the banks again? Or do we want to, you know, keep with this very simple and successful jobs and infrastructure plan that's been in place?
0: My thanks to Sarah. So when will cruise ships sail again? And who's going to be booking cabins? From the Points Guy, Cruise Editor Gene Sloan weighs anchor. The Centers for Disease Control had already extended a no-sale order. That was supposed to expire in a couple of days. And just about everybody, including me by the way, and I've said this on the air, I expected it to be extended again through December. Well, I was wrong. As it turns out, within the CDC, the director wanted to actually extend it even further out to next February. And he got overruled by the White House. And earlier this week, the CDC now extended the no-sale order only through the end of October. Happy Halloween. Uh, Which came as a, a bit of a relief to the cruise lines although they still have to implement a tremendous amount of, uh, of new innovations and procedures and protocols. And joining us now to talk about what this all means is the senior reporter for Cruise and Travel for The Point Sky, our good pal, Gene Sloan. How are you, Gene?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having
0: me. I mean, crazy week, right? All of a sudden, the, the, you know, the, the, they're getting a sort of a qualified green light, although... I would be the first to say it, so let me be the first to say it, that I doubt any cruise line in the United States is going to sail on November 1st. Uh, but they they could if they were actually performing to what the CDC wanted.
1: They could, and you know it's going to be really interesting to me to see if they do. They they uh, they still a bunch of lines do still have sailings on the book starting right at November first, and um, I know they're raring to go. But there's other issues they've got. It's going to take them a little bit just to get the ships ready to go.
0: Exactly, and at the same time, I mean Carnival already announced earlier this week that the ships that they had announced that were going to sail in November and December aren't. They've moved them back till next year. Uh, previous yeah. to this, in anticipation of probably a longer extension of the no-sale order, a number of cruise lines moved their ships back, like Cunard, uh, to like February, March, and April even. So March what and even beyond, yeah, and even beyond. So, Gene, what do you think's gonna what this is gonna mean for people listening to our show right now who want to book a cruise? I mean, are they rolling the dice? Yeah,
1: I you know I think we we may see some sailings come back in November. First of all, I was surprised as you about what the cdc came out and said and and to your point you know the director I, there were several surprises in what happened the last few days the director said you know it, it sounds like wanted to push it back all the way till february and uh that was actually much further than i thought And what that's telling me is the cdc does not want cruising to restart and there's a little bit of a political battle going on the administration wants to you know get business going get the ships back in at the sea um I think the lines want to get back, but even they're a little nervous about it, and they've already said they're going to come back very slowly when they do. So I think we may see some sailings in November. As you noted, a bunch of lines already have have canceled many sailings into January, February, March. And uh, like Carnival was a good example, Carnival has just canceled all of November, December, but out of two ports, they're saying we're still going to, as of now, we're still keeping the sailings, on the books for November, December, and and they right, even it, but, you know hedging that a little, bit.
0: yeah, and if you were planning on sailing out of Mobile, Alabama, or New Orleans, or um, yeah, any of the other ports that they were sailing from, including Los Angeles, by the way, you're not going to be going.
1: That's all canceled. You know, as of the, as of this week, that's all canceled into January, um, and and we'll see. I think I think the thing is, and and I, I think it's been frustrating for cruisers. They've been selling these trips, they've been selling trips in all their ships, even though at the same time they're saying, when we do come back, we're going to come back maybe with two ships first, and then we'll add two more the next month and two more. So uh, I would be hesitant right now to book, definitely for November, December, even into January, February, because, you know, the, the trip may be on the books right now, they may be talking about starting back up, but many of those ships still may not be going.
0: Exactly. Now, overseas, it's a different story. Uh, we've had the the president of MSC on board to talk about their ship, the Grandiosa, which did five or six different seven seven day sailings in the Mediterranean, and it seems to be. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to be they did so without major incident. Yes,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think um, you know that's been. Uh, they- some of the pundits wrong on that. They, they have, have been running now for many weeks and uh, so far so good. They, they put in some really fairly drastic measures to, to try to keep coronavirus off these ships.
0: So Gene, we know that the CDC has asked every cruise line to submit a comprehensive proposal with plans on how they're going to change things around on their ships. Everything from testing of crew and passengers to room design and floor plan, public areas, uh, testing uh, on the ship, not just on, when you're boarding or, or getting off, and so many other things. In some cases, 75 different areas that are being addressed right now. What can people expect when the major cruise lines come back in? That would be a little bit disruptive or new new to them in terms of the procedures.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I think at least for the first few months, or maybe until we have a vaccine, which is who knows, right? Um, you're gonna see things we're well, going to see first of all you're going to see a lot of things you're, you're seeing at home at restaurants and bars that sort of thing you're gonna you're gonna maybe have to wear a mask on board definitely when you're out on a tour or in certain areas on board there'll be social distancing the ships are going to run um, with uh, capacity restraints in public areas so you might go to the show and half the showroom or every other seat is empty so it, it's going to be a little strange on board um, the biggest thing i, I think that's going to happen and, and it, this is something that msc did at first, and now it looks like everybody's going to do, which is to limit your ability to get off the ship in port. And that, that to me, that's a that's a pretty drastic action to take. The way it's working with MSC and what other lines are talking about is only letting you off in a port if you go on a, a, a cruise line organized tour. So in other words, you have a minder with you who can make sure you don't interact. You know, you don't go off and just meet anybody. Don't get too close to somebody. You, you know, don't do anything where you might you know, get, uh, you might come in contact with someone who might be sick and and then not bring that back on a ship. Um, and, yeah, like no going, no,
0: yeah, no going to the local bars.
1: Yeah, that's it. And, uh, you know, and even, even the tours will be a little different because in a lot of cases, they're not going to let you do a tour that takes you inside a place. You know, there's this whole idea that it's better if you're outside. Um, so, you know, that's a lot of people go on these trips because they, they love, you only get it many hours on a cruise, you get to your eight hours when you get off in a port. But a lot of people just like to get off and go roam around, right? They go to go to whatever, go see the, the Parthenon if you're in Athens or whatever. Um, and it's you're at least initially not going to be able to do that. I think the question is how long does that last? Because um, I think the hardcore cruisers, people who cruise a lot, who are listening to this, will probably be like, okay, that's fine. I can I can go on the ship, I have a great time. But for someone who's new to the idea of cruising, the idea of not being allowed off the ship is could, could, could be troubling, I think.
0: And what's going to be changed inside the ships?
1: Well, uh, like I said, the... Uh you know the the social distancing and, and that you know that's trying to keep people apart on the ship. That's going to be a big part of it. Now they're doing it on the MSC ship, and the early feedback is that people are still having a great time on board. You know, you, you're they're trying to social distance six feet, that sort of thing. You know, keep the keep the deck chairs a little distance up on the top deck. They're running the ships with fewer people. So you know, if people have been on cruises, especially mass cruises, they say, well, they're jam packed all the time on top. They're not going to feel as crowded, and it'll be easier for people to be a little spread out like that.
0: And of course, kiss the traditional buffet goodbye.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably the big thing. I, the buffet room will still be there, but you you won't be able to just go up and ladle out whatever you want onto your plate. So, you know, at, at, the, at the best, there's going to be people behind the counter who put the food on your plate, or it's, on some chips, it may be that you just Sit at the table, and they'll bring stuff over to you.
0: But can the? But here's the question, Gene. Can the cruise ships financially sustain an operation with only half capacity on the boats?
1: Yeah, it. You know, uh, they they well. I'll, I'll back up and say they were hugely profitable operations, at least the big players before this. And they've said in their financial disclosures, their conference calls with Wall Street that they can run at a, a fairly reduced rate and and still break even. That said. Uh, it's it, financially, it's going to be a tough, you know, at least a year here for the cruise for the cruise business. They try to come back. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not going to be the profitable business it was before, at least for a
0: while. And of course, they've accelerated the uh, the retirement, if you will, of a number of their ships across every brand. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many survive by the time they're ready to sail in, in February and March.
1: Yeah, it, you know that that part of it has just been fascinating to watch. You take a company like Carnival Corp, and, of course, Carnival Corp isn't just Carnival, the brand. It's also Princess Cruises and Holland, America, and a whole bunch of other brands. They went into this crisis with 104 ships, and they've already said they've announced 18 of them that are going away. And who knows if they're done? I mean, they initially came out, and I think it was 9 or 12, and they went to 15, and the last few weeks ago they went to 18. Um, And you're seeing lines like Carnival, the brand, with four of its 27 ships. That's that's more than 15%, That's roughly 15% of the fleet that's gone. I think at Holland America, it
0: was 29% of the fleet. My thanks to Gene. So who's actually traveling around America these days? And what are the real barriers? Roger Dow, the president and CEO of the U.S. Travel Association, has the latest. Now we're going to come right back to the U.S. of A. and talk to the president and CEO of the U.S. Travel Association, a good friend of ours and a regular on our show, Roger Dow. Hello, Roger.
3: Hey, Peter. How are you doing? And I'll tell you, that Thailand experience is phenomenal. My wife and uh, Christine Duffy from Carnival Cruise Lines and my daughter went on one of those elephant uh, uh, pilgrimages and four seasons a lifetime experience
0: it's true I mean I will say this when I first went to Thailand I don't even want to tell you when but I was 28 and uh, I got off the plane and we all remember the famous Groucho Marx line that said I would never join a club that would have me as a member and everybody was so nice to me I kept on figuring trying to find out they must not be talking to me they must be waiting for some other guy named Peter and then I realized it had nothing to do with me. It's all about who the ties are their sense of grace and style and honor and trust. And the whole culture is so amazing. I was so spoiled, I never wanted to leave. And I'm sure you had the same experience.
3: Well, they're wonderful people, and it's uh, there's so much to do there. Yes, I have. And I, I haven't been back in a while. I'm,
0: I'm looking forward to getting back there. Well, let's talk about getting back there. You know, a conversation I had earlier today, which speaks to a lot of the things that you're speaking about these days, Roger, it came up in conversation, and it came up like this. We all know we want to travel again, so where do you want to go first? That was the question. Where do you want to go first? And you know what? Nobody hesitated. They all had an answer. Uh, so there's pent-up demand. We know it. But for the moment, what I'm seeing is the law of unintended consequences, Americans rediscovering their own country. There's no
3: question about this. And we saw this after September 11th, uh, while international travel came to a halt. Americans traveling to America uh, really is what kept the traveling street afloat. And I expect the same thing to happen over the next year, because there's not a whole lot of people going to be traveling around the world for a while. They will again. But uh, this next 18 months is going to be America's opportunity for Americans.
0: And are we taking advantage of that?
3: We're starting to. Uh, what we're seeing, Peter, is that uh, it's close drive, uh, people where they can go short distances. Uh, they're staying close to home. Uh, this week, uh, Florida is opening up, going beyond Visit Florida. They're now saying to the region, Visit Florida. And uh, outdoors areas are doing phenomenally well. National parks, cities have a long way to go.
0: Yeah, cities are going to be the real challenge here, um, and I'm you know I'm doing the show tonight from New York, where there're probably forty midtown high-rise office buildings that are essentially vacant. Uh, populations have left the cities; they're moving out to the suburbs. Uh, they're buying homes or they're or they're renting uh, homes. Nobody wants to be in the cities.
3: It's amazing how that's changed. If you if we had this show six months, nine months ago, we'd be talking about how young people are moving into the city and everybody's being urban. And this past nine months has actually reversed the trend that was starting up. And uh, I think cities have some challenges.
0: You know, it's interesting. Uh, We, you know, we talk about WFH, working from home. Everybody learned how to do that very quickly during the pandemic. Then that's kind of transitioned to WFA, work from anywhere, And then the fun part is now it's back to WFH in a different way. It's working from hotels and other people's homes. So what we're seeing is the hotel industry pivoting because they need the occupancy and converting so many suites or maybe villas into work and living spaces for entire families For the husband and the wife to work remotely, the kids to do their schoolwork remotely, and still practice social distancing and and have a good experience without being stuck in a car on a commute.
3: And they're also uh, using hotels for, uh, if you want to go see a customer, their offices are closed, so you can't go visit them. So the logical thing is, let's meet at the Marriott, the Hilton, whatever, and I think we're going to see some of that go on for the next six months.
0: We've got 50 states. Let's not count Hawaii for this right now, because that's an island state, America's only island state. But for the other states, uh, which states, Roger, have, have been able to pivot and, and take advantage of you know, the unintended consequence of people being home?
3: Well, I've seen a, a couple. The, uh, a lot of the uh, western states have done very, very well you think of Wyoming, South Dakota are doing much better. The the, the South Dakota governor is actually their spokesperson with big, big faces, big places uh, play on Mount Rushmore. Uh, We're also seeing some of the the Florida beaches are doing very, very well. Uh, Myrtle Beach uh, was one of the first places that I saw that was sold out when other people were having no occupancy. In fact, they were having trouble getting help. So it's outdoors. It's western states. National parks are, are full right now.
0: Wow. And state parks.
3: Oh, the state parks, no question about it. Where the trouble is, and where I think some states have made a big mistake, are the northeastern states by putting these uh, quarantines on because... People with homeschooling now can extend their vacation, and the greatest time to go to New England and those states is fall foliage. And I think they're they're missing a great opportunity. They should say focus on traveling safe and healthy. But the bottom line, come see us.
0: Although I don't think we're at the point yet. I haven't seen it where we have state troopers at state borders turning away cars with license plates from other states. <laughs> it
3: hasn't happened yet, but uh, you know, and I hope it never happens because uh, I think people are learning how to travel smart. They're they wearing their masks. I'd like to see the mask go away someday. But if we all work hard, we can get this thing behind us and start moving again.
0: All right. So now beware of the law of reciprocity. When do you think we're going to get to a point where the United States lowers the, uh, the, you know, the, the gate or opens the door, so to speak, on foreigners visiting the United States? Because we're certainly not being allowed over there.
3: No, I think it's going to be uh, probably late fall towards the end of this year. I think it's going to go in reverse order when the uh, The blocks were put in. So I think Canada, Mexico first, Europe, UK uh, next, and then a while down the road, Asia.
0: So we have a ways to go.
3: We certainly do when it comes to international. You and I have traveled internationally together and and know how much fun that is. And I want to see that all come back because, you know, no matter where you travel in the world, people are the same. They want to have a good time, good food, good places to see. And travel is one of the greatest things for building understanding around the world.
0: It is. But right now, you can't mitigate the fear. Uh, In the absence of a vaccine or widespread, reliable, rapid response testing, people are not jumping on planes. They're not they're not going anywhere.
3: Not happening. It's uh, and uh, fear is a and this is the problem with this, uh, Peter, is the uncertainty. Each night you'll hear one story that we're all going to be dead tomorrow from a second wave. And next person says "Ah, that's all politics. I mean, the uncertainty of this thing is the real problem.
0: Well, can we ever get away from the politicization of the politics politicization? I can't pronounce that word. You know what I'm saying. Can we ever get away from the politics of epidemiology?
3: I don't think so. I think it's uh, it's really been challenging, and we've seen everything be all over the world. Uh, or, and it's just, it's been a real challenge. And uh, I hope we get smarter, but uh, I don't think we're going to get away from it.
0: And what's the way forward in terms of the actual dollars and cents here? Because you deal with all the different states, all the different cities and regions, all their destination marketing organizations that depend so much of their funding on people staying in hotels and getting their funding from those taxes. That's not there. So the connectivity is lost. How do you get that back on track?
3: I'm telling you, the people that can bring us back, the destination marketing organizations that are literally out of money, (laughs) as you just pointed out. So the people can bring us back. uh, We really need the government to step in, uh, get the payroll protection program for these DMOs, let them open their doors, let them bring their people back, and start talking about the great places to go in America.
0: And the likelihood of that happening?
3: i say zero to 10%.
0: <laughs> Mr. Optimist, Mr. Roger Dow. So I'm sorry, if that...
3: but I mean, it's frustrating, Peter. It's very frustrating. Our government should put the politics aside and do the right thing for the people.
0: My thanks to Roger Dow, to Gene Sloan, and to Sarah Nelson. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to listen, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for continuous updates on breaking travel news, just log on to petergreenberg.com.
2: Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.
1: Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss.